How great was that? Oh my goodness, don't you want to give Evelyn a hug? But not too hard, she might break. Bless her heart. Hey, just to connect the dots, uh, our friend, Brad Formsma, who of course wrote I Like Giving, you got a copy of it last weekend if you were at NCC. Uh, Evelyn is uh, the precious lady that uh, Brad and Laura uh, reached out to. They, they went looking for a widow. They didn't know any. And so for many, many years, they supported uh, Evelyn until they eventually met her and, and were the first ones to get to watch uh, this special video. And so isn't that awesome? Um, I, I'm just loving this series. This is one of those series. It's going to be hard to turn the page, but uh, I believe God has us right where he wants us, and uh, welcome again to National Community Church. Thrilled that you're here uh, as we conclude, I like giving. By, by the way, heard some really inspiring stories this week, uh, loving what I'm hearing. I have to tell you, um, I, I was on the receiving end and the giving end of a couple of kind of fun little capers that happened uh, this week. But, but my favorite, uh, I talked with Brad on Tuesday because his book released. And so I, I just wanted to give him a word of encouragement. And you know what this guy went and did? Um, he went and got balloons that were all the same color as the dots on the book and sent like, you know, 100 balloons to his publisher and then sent, I think, dots, ice cream, dots, for an ice cream break for, the, like, for like 100 people at the publisher. I'm like, and I'm thinking, Brad, you just made me as a fellow author look really, really bad because <laughs> I have never done anything like that. But this is getting in our spirits, love where God is taking us. If you have a Bible, you can turn over to Leviticus chapter 23. We will get there in just a moment. When the Israelites occupied the promised land, God instituted uh, agricultural laws that govern the way that they planted and harvested their fields. Think of it this way. Our coffee house in Capitol Hill is kitty corner to the Securities and Exchange Commission. Now, it's their job to enforce the Securities Act of 1933, uh, along with other rules and regulations that have been passed over the years that govern the buying and selling of securities. All right. Think of Leviticus 23 as the Securities Act of 1406 BC. It governed the way that the Israelites would handle themselves financially. Now, the nice thing is God's code, way simpler than our code consists of two primary laws, the law of tithing and the law of gleaning, or you could call it the law of first things and the law of last things. And that's what we're going to talk about this weekend. Now, I know it's tempting to think that there couldn't be anything more irrelevant than ancient Jewish agricultural laws, right? But I would push back and suggest that uh, this is personal finance 101, and this has the potential to totally 
revolutionize the way that you think about finances and the way that you manage your finances. It might help to think about it this way because we don't have too many farmers at NCC. Uh, When the Bible says field, think budget. And when it says crop, think paycheck. Um, And here's what I believe. If you follow these two principles, the law of first things and the law of last things, God will bless your finances. A blessing will be on your finances. It's God's money back guarantee. And I, for one, want that. Uh, Leviticus 23, starting in verse number nine. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. Now the key word here is first. See, the Israelites would uh, harvest the first fruits and then they would stop harvesting they would actually bring those first fruits, the first 10% of their harvest uh, to the temple. And then and only then would they return to their fields and harvest the rest of the crop. They believed that if they honored God with the first fruits, that God's blessing would then be on the rest of the harvest, that it would invoke a blessing. Now in verse 14, it says, you must not eat any bread, or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Now, will you stick with me for just a couple of minutes? It's gonna get fun. Um, But there's a little bit of classroom right here. Um, The key here is lasting ordinance for generations to come. Here's the beautiful thing. There is no expiration date on these laws. They're a lasting ordinance for generations to come, and that would include our generation. It's as relevant now as it was then. Now, how we put it into practice looks a little bit different because we might not be uh, dealing primarily with grain or grapes or olives, but the law of tithing is timeless. Um, The law, uh, or the tithe, uh, actually predates the law traces all the way back to Abraham. Uh, Abraham gave a tithe of all that he had to the priest of Salem named Melchizedek. Uh, then hundreds of years later, uh, the tithe was codified by the Levitical code and Moses himself. And then hundreds of years after that, it was validated by the prophet Malachi, among others. And, and we'll take a peek at that promise in Malachi 3. And then hundreds of years later, it was endorsed by Jesus himself. Now, let's just look at this because uh, I want to make sure that we're on the same sheet of music. Luke eleven forty two, Jesus said, What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? You are careful to tithe, even on the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Now, I love this perspective on tithing. See, tithing is not the end goal. The goal is love and justice. Tithing is simply a starting point, if you will. So Jesus validates something 
that had been practiced by the Jewish people for thousands of years. Now, the irony is that some people would look at this verse and, and actually use it to undermine the importance of tithing. Why, why would there be such a minor illusion, almost an offhanded statement about tithing? Why wouldn't it have more focus if it was that important? Um, well, first of all, Money was a subject matter that Jesus talked about more than any other, including heaven and hell. I'll tell you why I think he didn't talk about tithing very much, because it was an elementary concept in Jewish culture. The tithe was assumed. It was as assumed as air. Uh, It had been so since Malachi, since Moses, since Abraham, giving the tithe was a given. Uh, It was as normal and natural as inhaling or exhaling air. Uh, The tithe belongs to God forever and for always. There was no debate. It was an afterthought because it was the very first thought. Um, But it's never been the end goal. It's the entry point. I would suggest that it's the baseline of obedience Now, in Malachi 3, it says uh, in verse 8, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. I'm going to talk about this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Uh, Let me give some definition. The word tithe literally means 10%. Um, So it's not 3% or 5% or 11%. It's one-tenth, and it's not any tenth. It's the first tenth or the first Fruits. Now, biblically speaking, anything that we would give beyond 10% would not be a tithe. It would be what the Bible would call uh, an offering. In fact, more precisely, a free will offering, not something that's demanded, not something you have to do, but something you can do as God leads you to do that. It belongs to the storehouse. I believe the local church is a storehouse. It's a place where you're being fed spiritually. And so Laura and I, you know, we support a pretty wide variety of kingdom causes, um, missionaries, different organizations, um, different groups like Compassion International. But biblically speaking, none of them get our tithe. Uh, They get offerings that are above and beyond uh, that 10% that we give. And so Laura and I started out giving uh, 10% and living off of 90%, but you know, our goal is to give a greater percentage back to God every year with the ultimate goal of someday a reverse tithe where we would be living off of 10% and giving 90%. Uh, now hit the pause button. Let me tell you a story. Uh, July 30, 1945, Time Magazine publishes a fascinating article about an experiment. We might even have a a shot of a newspaper clipping. It wasn't a science experiment. It was a spiritual experiment. And the hypothesis was Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and test me in this and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough 
historic. Now, the mad scientist, if you will, who performed this experiment was a guy named Perry Hayden. Uh, he was the president of Hayden Flour Mills. Now, here's a little bit of backstory. When, when he was 29 years old, uh, Perry went to a conference and he heard the speaker uh, talking about this idea of giving and, and just felt so conflicted because uh, he wanted to go into business, but he also wanted to be a missionary to China. And he found this kind of war raging inside of him. And afterwards, he went up to the speaker and he told him his dilemma. And the speaker shared with something that turned, turned out to be a, a true defining moment. Uh, he said, Perry, go home and make all the money you can. Then give all the money you can. Well, Perry went into the family business. About two years later, someone sent him a booklet on tithing. Now, he'd never heard the concept before, but he decided to start giving God the first 10% of his income. At the time, his business was actually losing money. Um, but he faithfully gave God the tithe, and things began to turn around. And then many years later, during a sermon, uh, probably a sermon like this, um, he got a crazy idea. Now, he'd been tithing for years at this point, but Perry Hayden uh, wanted to prove God in a unique way. So here's what he did. On September 26, 1940, he planted 360 kernels of wheat on a plot of ground that was four feet by eight feet. It was the world's smallest wheat field. And he vowed to tithe on the harvest one year later and to do it for six years because the Levitical code, which we won't get into, uh, prescribes planting a field for six years, but the seventh year being a year of rest. And so he decided to do this for six years. Now in 1941, uh, those 360 kernels turned into 45 cubic in inches of kernels. In 1942, there was a 55-fold yield or 70 pounds. Well, they tied the wheat, replanted the remaining 63 pounds on a farm owned by uh, Perry Hayden's friend, Henry Ford. In 1943, one acre of land yielded 16 bushels from that one bushel of seed, and uh, Henry Ford provided the reaper and the thresher. Then he provided his farm for the fourth planting. In 1944, 14 acres yielded 380 bushels. A tenth of the crop was tied and the rest was replanted. It took 230 acres and a fleet of 40 combines to harvest it in 1945. It yielded 5,555 bushels. At the time, uh, after tithing on the fifth year's harvest, the 5,000 bushels of wheat were turned over to 276 farmers who planted them on 2,666 acres with one stipulation. Every one of those farmers agreed to tithe on the harvest to the church that they belonged to. In 1946, Michigan Governor Harry Kelly made a declaration that August 1st was Biblical Wheat Day because that's the day that they celebrated the 6th and final harvest. 
What started out with 360 kernels planted on a four foot by eight foot plot resulted in a harvest of 72,500 bushels of wheat valued at approximately $150,000 adjusted for inflation be worth $1,920,733.51 in today's dollars. Thus ended one of the most amazing experiments in history. Now, on May 23rd, 1992, a similar tithing experiment was initiated. That's the day Laura and I got married. And we made a defining decision that we would never not tithe. And it's one of the best decisions that we've ever made. We put God to the test now for 21 years. Hasn't always been easy. Uh, At times, it's been downright scary. But God has delivered on his promise in ways that we don't understand and quite frankly, we don't deserve. Here are a few of the lessons I've learned. First of all, the tithe is a reminder that everything comes from God and for God. It's not like 10% belongs to him, 100% does. He just lets us keep 90%. So many lessons learned. One is that I'm incredibly greedy. And the tithe is the only antidote I know to keep the greed in my heart in check. And it's worked. Uh, I believe that tithing is trusting. It's trusting that God can do more with 90% than I can do with 100%. The tithe is one way that I prove myself to God. God, I'm not gonna keep for myself what you bless me with. Um, And it enables God, I believe, to entrust me with more. But even more than me proving myself to God, what's so fun is that it gives God a way to prove himself to us. When we give beyond our ability, God blesses beyond our ability. And you know what? The side benefit is this. The more you give away, the more you enjoy what you keep. That's 21 years of experience in about two minutes. But here's the conclusion I've come to. You can't outgive God. It's impossible. Now, let me say, I do not believe in the prosperity gospel. Anytime you add something to the gospel, you are actually subtracting something from it. Because the gospel is as good as it gets. The pure gospel, it costs nothing, does demand everything. I don't believe in a prosperity gospel. What I mean by that is this. It's not like the payoff for our giving is some material blessing. Now, God will do that, but 
That's the least blessing we can receive. It's all of the other blessings that put a huge smile on her face. And the truth is, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. The true payoff is just the joy of seeing the look on someone else's face when you bless them, of knowing that you are giving back to God what he gave to you in the first place. Trust me, God is not a slot machine. He cannot be bribed. He cannot be blackmailed. But I also know this, you can't outgive him. Luke 6, 38, given will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. If you stand on God's word, God will stand by his word. And that's the bottom line. It's pretty simple. I would encourage you uh, to consider a tithing experiment. Uh, Well, how, how do I get started? Well, the next time you get some form of income, you give God the first 10%. Um, it's not super complicated. Now, we kind of have it down to a science that we sort of know um, kind of our baseline. And so, man, direct deposit is an easy way for us to say pretty accountable. But then there are also things that happen along the way that you weren't planning. I can tell you, when we sold our house a few years ago, it was the e- easiest tie check we've ever written um, because we felt so blessed by God. Um, And let me anticipate a question that uh, I sometimes get. Uh, Do you tithe on the gross or the net? (laughs) Let me me just tell you what Laura and I do. We we tithe on the gross, and I'll tell you why, because I want a gross blessing. (laughs) Uh, In all seriousness, I really do believe that that's what makes it first fruits. What, What do you mean by that? Before we pay taxes, or before we pay our bills, we're giving God back what belongs to him. All right, now here's the thing. This isn't where generosity ends. It's where it begins. And so my prayer is that we would practice as a church the law of first things. But it gets so much more fun because there's the law of last things. It's the law of gleaning. And I want you to take a look at it in verse number 22 of Leviticus 23. Here it is. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very corners of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Now, isn't this interesting? Because it's very explicit instructions not to harvest to the very edge of your field. Now, in practicality, the way that this played out, if if it was grapes or olives or something else, you, you go through one time, but you don't double back. You weren't allowed to go back and pick up what was left. Why? Because it was God's system of caring for those who were poor and who were strangers. 
um, they didn't have anything, but, but at harvest time, this was a way that God could provide for them. And so they would give the first fruits and, and, and then come back and harvest. But when they got to the end of the harvest, they were very careful not to harvest those four corners. I guess you could call this their charitable giving, if you will. Um, giving was the first thing and last thing they did. And I think that's the significant piece of the puzzle. Now, here's the challenge that I think we face because we're going to bring this into our uh, economic context. I think one of the great challenges we face financially is the simple fact that many, if not most of us, live on credit. Now, what that means is this. We not only harvest our entire field um, and use 100% of our income, but it's kind of like we're harvesting other fields on credit. We, we don't leave our corners. We're kind of harvesting on, on other fields. Um, it's kind of like we're banking on next year's harvest. Um, we are borrowing against the future to pay for the present. Now, the challenge with that is this. If you consume 100% of your income, well, how much of that does that leave to be a blessing to others? Well, the answer is zero. You're going to be a zero blessing because there's nothing left over. Last week, we talked about the um, story of the Good Samaritan. What if he was living on 100%? He wouldn't have had two denarii to be able to foot the bill to um, be a blessing to the man that he found by the side of the road. And so the challenge for us is this. How do we leave the corners of our field? What does that look like? Well, some of you know that uh, I'm a member of the Junkie Car Club. I have been since 2007. In fact, uh, that year they produced a Junkie Car Club calendar, and I was Mr. August. You didn't know that your pastor was a male model. <laughs> it was low key, low budget. Trust me. Uh, I think someone just grabbed a camera and we went out and I posed in front of our Ford Taurus. And shortly thereafter, that sweet ride um, entered glory. <laughs> and uh, the undertaker, the tow truck came and took it away, and uh, that afforded us an opportunity to downgrade <laughs> uh, to a 1997 Honda Accord with 245,000 miles on it, and uh, been driving her for about uh, five or six years now. Now, this week, something happened. Um, had to take it into mechanic because it was making a noise that was causing people to turn their heads and look at me as I drove. It was rather embarrassing. And uh, it may or may not have anything to do with the fact that I have an 18-year-old son who is now driving that car. Something happened. Because <laughs> one day, 
I hop in that car and she's making some noises. I know it shouldn't be making. Something's going on with the whole front right side alignment shocks something. And so, so I take it in to, to my mechanic, Roy. And uh, Roy's like, well, let's take her for a spin. And, you know, you don't have to go drive too far in D.C. to test it because there's potholes every other inch. And so we're, you know, it's making the noise, and Roy's like, you've got a problem here, Mark. And I'm like, well, what, what do we do about it? And, and Roy, my mechanic, says, Mark, you do not want to get this car fixed again. It is time for you to get a new car. I'm like, Roy, I got two kids who have just started driving. I'm not getting a new car. <laughs> they need to learn the way that I learned. I'm going to drive this bad boy. And just on a, on a whim, I said, Roy, um, you know, this thing's got 245,000 miles on it. And I have to be careful because that's where I get a measure of pride in my life. <laughs> I said, Roy, what, what, what vehicle have you serviced? He's been there for 20 years since I've been here. I said, Roy... What, what car have you served? What, what is your record, the most mileage on a vehicle that you have ever serviced? He said, Mark, you're driving it. <laughs> I hold the Roy record. Now, please hear my heart. There ain't nothing wrong with driving a nice car. Nothing. And I may get one. My kids stopped driving mine. <laughs> but can I tell you why I've driven this car for the past six years? And it's why I explain it to my kids who would like us to get a new one. It's a form of gleaning. We're leaving the four edges of our field unplowed. We don't have a car payment. Pay less for a car so we can give more away. I'm not prescribing that for anybody here. But here's what I am prescribing. You gotta find somehow, some way to keep the four corners of your budget unplowed, unharvested, so that as God leads you, you can seize the opportunities that you know are around you every single day. I mean, it ranges from someone that you walk by on the street that doesn't have a place to sleep and definitely needs what you have in your pocket for their next meal to someone in your small group who feels called to go on a mission trip but you know they don't have the money to go and you could give towards it. It's the law of gleaning. Now, here's what's beautiful. This is what I love about it. It's not a percentage. Now, the tithe is. It's 10%. It's cut and dried. What I love about gleaning is it doesn't tell us. And what I love about that is this. Let's not be legalistic about it. It's not 1% or 4%. Like, I don't know what it is. It's probably more than the spare change in our pocket. And considering the half of the world lives on about a dollar a day, it's got to be more than the spare change in our pocket. But somehow, some way, we got to put this law of gleaning into practice. 
couple of ideas. Master the art giving tips. Let me tell you what I do. <coughs> Every once in a while, I will leave a tip that's larger than the bill. As I feel led by the Lord, there will be moments where I just want to bless someone. Now, sometimes I will walk out before they have a chance to know or say thank you. I just like the idea of just leaving it and wondering what happened. Sometimes I'll speak into someone's life and just say, you went so far above and beyond. Your smile made my day today. I just wanted to bless you, and I'll personally hand it to them. Now, my favorite is giving tips to people who don't get tips. Every once in a while, I'll go up to someone who is cleaning bathroom, food court, and you know it is not their dream job. But they're doing it and doing it well. And we're the beneficiaries of being in a clean space. I'll walk up to him and I'll say, I, I hope this is okay. Just notice that you're doing what you're doing. I, I really just appreciate it. And would it be okay if I gave you a tip? The stupefied look on people's faces when you do that is just so worth it. To me, those are gleanings. Those are the edges of my field. That I, it's not something I need, but I can bless them with it. Um, oh, I like this one. Give someone a Pentecostal handshake. Here's what I mean by this. Many moons ago, I was preaching one of my first messages. I think I was probably 23 or 24. Laura and I were newlyweds living off of her uh, income. I was working at a storage unit facility, managing it for minimum wage, trying to, to work our way through seminary, and not, not much money, um, living paycheck to paycheck. And I went and preached at a church, and on the way out, someone came up and gave me a handshake, and I felt something in that hand. And when he took his hand away, I looked, and there was a pretty significant bill in my hand. I was confused. And he looked at me and said, it's a Pentecostal handshake. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do is to give people Pentecostal handshakes. Now, sometimes I'll do it with our nieces or nephews on their birthday, and it doesn't have to be a lot. You know, sometimes you can get a $2 bill. $2 bills, are they, they're just the coolest bills. I'm sorry. You get a $2 bill, you put that in your hand. It, it's the law of gleaning. You know what? It doesn't take much. But isn't it true that some of the greatest blessings in your life have been small acts of kindness? I remember a couple of years ago, I wrote an endorsement for an author who was one of my all-time favorite Authors, I couldn't believe he asked me to write an endorsement. I was like, something's really backwards right here. Um, and, I, and I wrote the endorsement. And would you know that a few weeks later, a card came in the mail 
with a handwritten thank you from someone who is busier than a florist on Valentine's Day. It said, thanks for writing the endorsement. And there was a $25 gift card to Starbucks. I mean, it'd be better if it was Ebenezer's, but I'll take Starbucks. (laughs) It inspired me. I'm looking for opportunities. Um, You know what? Laura's so good at this. Years ago, she came up with the idea, what if I just had a stash of gift cards in my purse? And when someone asks for something and says, that, could we help them get a meal? Um, and Laura will just pull one out of her purse. And, and you know what's even better than that? Number one, please make eye contact. <laughs> and if you can, take 10 or 15 minutes to share a meal with someone. Hear their story. I mean, that, that's where it gets into the four corners of our time. And again, we're too busy to be able to seize these opportunities, but we need to. One last idea. Empty your wallet. What I mean by that is this. One of the things I've tried to put into practice um, in recent years is that there have been moments where God's spoken to me And something's touched my heart so deeply that I just feel like it would be wrong for me to walk away with any money on my person. Uh, One time it happened at one of our A1A events um, and uh, just heard this wonderful story about the orphanage in Zambia that we had a team go and serve at and pulled at my heartstrings because Summer was on that team. I remember that night just being so moved, like, God, how can I be a part of just helping that ministry and helping those kids? And it was just one of those moments where I knew I couldn't walk out with any money in my wallet. Now, let's just keep it real. In those moments, yes, sometimes um, I'll think to myself, I wish I hadn't just gone to the bank. I wish I had less in my wallet. And there have been times where I felt like, God, could I just keep a couple of bucks? Because what if something happens? And the Lord said, no. It's not a tithe. It's not something I feel like I have to do. Sometimes you got to empty your wallet to just be a blessing to someone that you know needs it or deserves it more than you do. Well, I think I'm done. Let me end with the challenge. We're going to put this into practice in a unique way this weekend, a way that we've never done before at National Community Church, and that's why I'm so excited about it. And I shared it last week. We're a church that celebrates any church that is preaching and practicing the gospel. Now, you need to know that in our early days, when our income as a church was $2,000 a month, there were churches that supported us. Without their support, we would have never made it. And so the Lord put in our heart just a couple of weeks ago to take an offering, an offering for other churches. In keeping with this series, I Like Churches. We've identified, with the help of all of our campus pastors, 11 churches that we want to bless for a wide variety of reasons. Lored, they're now meeting in the Gala Theater. We believe that they're continuing what we started. We want to bless them. Uh, we want to be shareholders in a couple of new church plants, uh, Create Church in Columbia Heights, 
Triumph Church on Capitol Hill. We want to bless Embassy Church. Here's what's so special about this one. Do you know the pastors of that church, Dave and Carol Owens, dear friends of ours, but in the Union Station days, they were part of this church before we were 100 people. In fact, Dave led worship back in the day. Man, we just want to give back and be a blessing to that church. We want to bless the church at the center, the table, First Rock Baptist, Monterey Church, and Nova Church, which happens to be our next door neighbor at Boston Common Mall. We want to invest in a deaf church plant that doesn't even have a name yet. And last but not least, I want to bless the people's church. Our Barracks Road campus, for 50 years, the people's church met here. They planted in this soil what we are now reaping. We love them. We need to bless them. And so, this weekend, we're going to practice the law of gleaning. I'm going to invite our worship bands to come. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to trust that the Lord's going to lead each one of us as we give a special offering. I know we've already given our tithe, but you know what? There are moments where you go above and beyond and trust that God is going to bless it. Um, Laura and I so excited about been talking about it all week, and uh, God's given us a number. It's amazing how often we land at the same number and just excited to be able to give and bless these churches. And so let me pray for this offering. Again, invite our ushers to come at all locations. Let's pray together. God, we ask and pray that you would use this gift that we're about to give to be a huge kingdom blessing. God, thank you for the way that you have blessed and provided for National Community Church. God, we want to steward every single penny that you entrust to us. And God, part of that is us just giving back and, and giving beyond the four walls of this church. Lord, typically, that's to our missionaries, to different kingdom causes all around the world, uh, to our dream center in our backyard that, that is reaching out to our Samaria here in this city. But Lord, on this day, God, we give to other churches that may have a different name over their door, but there's one church and there's one name that is above every other name. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done and that you would use these gifts to be such a unique blessing to those who are on the receiving end that it would encourage them, Lord, that it would be a miracle for the situation that they find themselves in. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.